You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Ready? Let's take off. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. This podcast series is based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph we win in Christ. And I want you to say that after me. I win. Come on, say it again. I win. Come on, let's say it one more time. I win. Listen, no matter what's going on in your life, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says that we always triumph in Christ. Now, I am teaching a uh, series entitled Best Days Ahead. Best Days, this is our third uh, episode. The theme of this series is it's really designed to encourage you. This, these are some difficult days that we're in on a lot of different levels, economically, physically, sickness, and all the stuff that's going on politically. These are some challenging days, and it's so easy to get discouraged. So God put this series on my heart to let you know that there are better days ahead for you. Our theme is hope. In uh, episode one, we talked about the fact that you have a bright future ahead of you. The scripture says in Job 8, 7, though thy beginning was small, yet your latter end shall greatly increase. I looked up that text, Job 8, 7, in several translations. And in those translations, it says that you're future will be successful, your future will be extraordinary, and your future will be full of great prosperity. Now, if you were not with us, I want you to go back and listen to episode one. In episode two, we talked about time is a terrible thing to waste. Time is a terrible thing to waste. Now, in this third episode, I want to talk about uh, talk from the subject hope and anchor of the soul. Hope and anchor of the soul. Now this is a this is going to be an interesting lesson today. I know that this is going to be a rhema word for someone. Normally, I prepare my lessons ahead of time, and I had prepared uh, this lesson hope and anchor the soul. Great, outstanding lesson. I was ready. I was prepared. And this morning, I woke up this morning with the thought of suicide, the thought of suicide. Man, I, I had to rush because the Spirit of God was dealing with me about something I needed to talk about right in the line of hope and anchor of the soul. So this is really going to be part one. You'll hear what I prepared. Uh, part, part two is what I prepared for the day. But sometimes the Spirit of God puts a sense of urgency in my spirit. Uh, he, and I'm literally rushing. Listen. 
I wasn't prepared to teach what I'm going to share with you today. So I came in rushing. I'm, we're a few minutes late getting started, not because of my tech people, my team, but I was rushing. I was trying to put my thoughts down because the Spirit of God just kind of jerked me. And so I know that this is for you or for someone you know. Uh, I want to, I want to, I'm, I'm going to deal with the hope theme, hope and anchor the soul, but I'm going to, I'm going to talk about suicide today. We, we're going to, let's talk about it. There are two spheres of existence, two spheres of existence, hope on one hand and hopelessness on the other hand. Hope on one hand and hopelessness on the other hand. Now, hope is the expectation of good, a good and happy life ahead. Very simple definition. Hope is the expectation of a good and happy life ahead. The other sphere of existence is hopelessness. Hopelessness. Now, hopelessness is having no expectation, having no expectation of happiness, having no expectation of improvement or things getting better, and hopelessness is having no expectation of a new and better life. Now, uh, like I said, uh, I was prepared to dive into the issue of hope and the different kinds of hope and the fact that believers have a supernatural hope. But when I woke up this morning, uh, the issue of suicide dropped on my mind. And so I rushed and tried to put some things down. So let's talk about it. Let's, let's talk about a suicide today. The ultimate manifestation of hopelessness, suicide, the ultimate manifestation of hopelessness. So let's talk, and, and, and I want you to send your questions in because I know I'm talking to someone. I know that I've been led to talk to someone. Uh, and let's, let's define our term. Let's define our term. What is suicide? Suicide is the act of taking one's own life voluntarily or intentionally. It is the act of taking one's own life voluntarily and intentionally. Now, let me ask you a question, and we'll just, we'll, we'll feel our way through this. Let me ask you a question. Have you been dealing with thoughts of suicide? Have you in the past been dealing with thoughts of suicide? Have you been thinking about taking your own life? Are you presently thinking about taking your own life? 
Suicide is the act of taking one's own life voluntarily and intentionally. Now, if you've had thoughts in the past of suicide, and if you presently have thoughts of taking your own life, then it is very important. It is divine. It is divinely orchestrated that you're listening to me today. There are several examples of individuals through the scripture who took their lives. I'll give you, I mentioned three of them. Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 4, the latter part, the B part of the verse says, but when his armor bearer would not. Now, let's go back. Saul was in this hot battle, and it looked like he was going to die, but he did not want the enemy to uh, kill him because they did terrible things with the king once they captured the king, and they may cut off the head and may uh, parade the, 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 or shame the enemy. And walking through the city in chains and just terrible torture toward the king. So Saul asked his armor bearer to take his sword and kill him. But his armor bearer, 1 Samuel 31, 4b, said, would not. He wouldn't do it. For he was so afraid. He was afraid because he was the king. Uh, therefore, Saul took a sword and he fell on it. In other words, Saul took a sword, and he just pushed it in, and he fell on his sword, and he killed himself. Zimri, in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 18, 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 18, Zimri, it says, and it came to pass when Zimri saw, when he saw that the city was taken, that he went into the palace of the king's house, burnt the king's house over him with fire, and died. The scripture says that when Zimri saw that the city was taken, in other words, the enemy had come in and overtaken the city, he went into the palace, into the king's house, set the king's house on fire, and the scripture says the house fell on him, uh, the burning house fell on him, and he died. Zimri took his life. And then many of us are familiar with Judas, who was an apostle of Jesus Christ. After he had betrayed Jesus, he thought that somehow his betrayal would motivate Jesus to, to overthrow the government. Whatever he was thinking, uh, he was deceived. But when he saw that his plan uh, had not worked and they arrested Jesus and, and Jesus yielded to the arrest, the Bible says that he went out and he hanged himself. So we see one man falling on a sword, another man setting the house on fire and killing himself, and we see Judas hanging himself. Suicide is the act of taking one's own life voluntarily and intentionally. Now, uh, I want to ask you the question again, because I was led to talk about suicide, and I know when I'm being led. Have you in the past been dealing 
with suicide, the thoughts of suicide, or have you attempted to take your life in the past? Are you presently dealing with thoughts of suicide? If that's the case, then you have been strategically, divinely, the Spirit of God has positioned you to listen to me today. Why do people commit suicide? And, and let me ask you a question, if, if that's you. Why are you thinking about taking your life? What is your rationale? What is your logic? Well, when we study uh, the science and we study sociology and psychology, and, and when we look at the scripture, we see that there are several reasons, and I'll give you a list, but not an exhaustive list. Sometimes people commit suicide because they feel no one cares. They feel no one cares, and that could not be true because the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, that we're to cast all of our cares on God because God cares for you. He cares for us. So this feeling of no one cares is a deceptive feeling, is a deceptive emotion. Sometimes people uh, secondly feel left out. They feel alone. They feel rejected. Well, that's not true to Scripture because the Bible says that God will never leave us, and it says that he would never forsake us. And it says to all that comes to him, he will not cast out any. In other words, this feeling of rejection, this feeling of being left out, this feeling of alone is a deceptive feeling. It's not true to Scripture. It does not line up in Scripture. The Bible said some people uh, c commit suicide because they feel hopeless, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about hopelessness. They don't see a way out. They don't see a way out, and I'm going to talk to you about that later. They don't see a way out. It may be a way out of abuse. Maybe you're in an abusive situation. Maybe it's sexual abuse, physical abuse, psychological abuse. Uh, or it may be physical sickness. You, maybe you're suffering and you have a sickness and, and you feel like, I don't want to go through all this. And so you think, I'll just take my life. Sometimes people feel overwhelmed. Do you feel overwhelmed by family, overwhelmed by your career, overwhelmed by business or your student? Do you feel overwhelmed by school, overwhelmed by others' expectations? overwhelmed. Sometimes people just feel like they're overwhelmed by the pressure, the pressure of family, the pressure of career, the pressure of school, the pressure of finances. Sometimes people commit suicide because they feel like a failure. Do you feel like a failure? Do you feel like a failure? Think about what the scripture says about that. I, the, I, this podcast is established on the on 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. Always causes us to triumph. The scripture also says, 
that we're to give thanks to God who giveth us the victory. Now thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through Christ Jesus. The scripture says that we are world overcomers. We overcome the world with, the, with our faith. So this feeling, notice a feeling that no one cares, feeling left out, feeling rejected, feeling alone, feeling overwhelmed. You feel like a, a failure. Maybe you're a student, and for whatever reason, you, you just can't meet your parents' expectations, or you can't meet others' expectations, and you want to just check out. Or maybe you can't meet your own expectations, and you just feel like a failure. You feel like you just have failed in life. Maybe it's a habit that you're unable to break. The power of God, the, the Bible says that the anointing is the yoke-destroying power of God, and it doesn't make any difference what you're dealing with. There's power to break that yoke. Maybe it's pornography, and, and maybe you're just tired of being drawn by that, and you want to just take your life. Maybe you're struggling with homosexuality or struggling with lesbianism, or you're struggling with some kind of sexual identity crisis, and and you just don't know what to do. And maybe you're a Christian and you just want to take your, your life. Or maybe it's, you know, sometimes it's mental illness. Uh, it can be depression, chronic anxiety, bipolar. Sometimes people are mentally ill. That's why I'll stop here and, and say this. I was, I was, um, I was preaching uh, a eulogy. I was preaching a funeral of a young, uh, young kid who had taken his life, and I was counseling and trying to comfort the family and, and in the funeral. And I mentioned heaven. I mentioned that the young man had invited Christ into his life, and um, and for whatever reason, sometimes people just don't feel like. They, sometimes people don't have the spiritual tools, you know. Sometimes people don't, they've not been taught. They, they don't know what to do. And, and, and sometimes they, it can be an addiction or just mental illness or something like that. And I'll mention, you know, heaven that, you know, to the family. I was talking about that, you know, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And a, it, it was a strange funeral because a person in the family stood up when I was talking about heaven and got angry in me, at me, because of the fact that I said the young man was in heaven. And I know it sounds strange to you that a family member would stand up and, and get mad at me and, and was shouting at me in the middle of the funeral. The family member had to be taken out of the funeral. I kept on preaching, but what it boiled down to is that this, I know what it boiled down to. It boiled down to this family member had this thing that suicide was the unpardonable sin. Now, listen, I'm not sharing this so you can go out and, and commit suicide. I'm sharing this because maybe you may have had a family member or a friend or somewhere, and you're struggling with this, this thing of whether they went to heaven and maybe they didn't go to heaven because 
somehow we've taught people that suicide is the unpardonable sin. Now, understand why I'm teaching this. I'm not teaching this to, to legitimize or to give you a rationale to go out and kill yourself. I am trying to comfort family members because sometimes people have this idea that suicide is the unpardonable sin. And they say, well, the person didn't ask for forgiveness and, and they died. They took their life and they died and they went to hell. Well, I, I, I think that that's remiss. I think that's wrong to say that because let's, let's look at it like this. Let's look at it like this. What qualifies a person for heaven? What qualifies a person for heaven? What qualifies? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, talks about the fundamental doctrines of Jesus Christ. And it talks about repentance from dead works, and it talks about faith toward God. The first two, fundamental doctrines of Christ, we must repent from dead works. And that simply means that there's nothing we can do to qualify for heaven. There's no good work if we try to get to heaven through church membership, through water baptism, through doing good works. If we try to get to heaven through trying to treat everybody right, the Bible called those dead works. The Bible says that we must exercise faith toward God. In other words, faith toward God's plan for salvation. And God's plan for salvation is to look outside of ourselves to the finished work of Jesus, Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We look outside of ourselves to what Jesus did on our behalf. He bore our sins, and we receive him as our Lord, our Savior, confess him as our Lord. So it's no work that we do in good work, and there's no work that we stop doing that will qualify for heaven. So if that's the case, then why is suicide the unpardonable sin? And why isn't lying the unpardonable sin? Why isn't gossip the unpardonable sin? Why isn't adultery the unpardonable sin? Why isn't fornication the unpardonable sin? You see, uh, there are Christians who have singles who fornicated and died. Some have even died committing the sin. So that would mean that that person went to hell because they, they fornicated and they didn't ask for forgiveness. Or think about all the Christians who gossip. That's a sin. And they didn't ask for forgiveness and they died. Think about the Christians who are jealous. That's a sin. And, and died and they didn't ask for forgiveness. Think about the Christian who don't tithe and, and don't believe in that and, and, and not attending church. And the Bible says, see, when we, when we make something we do or something we don't do, the qualification for heaven, then we can't just include suicide. We have to include all the other things that people do. Now, here, here's, here's the other issue, and then I'm going to move on. I'm just trying to comfort you because you may be a family. You may have a friend. You may have someone who's taking their life, and you're wondering, and you're upset because you're not sure they went to heaven. Okay, now listen at this. Sometimes people can be mentally sick, 
like they can be physically sick. Now, let me ask you a question. If a person died of cancer, a Christian, would that Christian go to heaven? That's a physical sickness. Would the Christian who died of cancer, they had received Christ, confessed him as their Lord, would that Christian go to heaven? Yes, that Christian will go to heaven. We know the Christian will go to heaven. So we realize that the physical ailment then hindered their spiritual position, right? Well, what if a person is mentally ill? What if a person is mentally ill and they take their life? Does their mental illness void their spiritual position? Think about that. That wasn't for everybody. That was just for those who've had loved ones to die, and you've been struggling with that. Now, what's wrong with suicide? Let's talk about it. I'm convinced that the Spirit of God led me to teach on this because there are people who are either thinking about it or the thought is coming to you and the Spirit of God wanted me to arrest your attention. What's wrong with suicide? Well, I jotted down in no particular order. Here again, I was rushing to try to put my thoughts down. I believe that there, that there are several things that's wrong with suicide. Number one, suicide is a form of deception. It's a, it's a deceptive thought. It is, it is a deceptive thought. It, it is a false way out. People say, well, you know, I'll just take my way. I just can't go through this anymore. I'll be better off. It's a false way of escape, escape because th that rationale that, listen, it's my life. I can do what I want with my life. I'm not hurting anybody. You are hurting people. You will hurt people. Now, listen at this. Suicide is a form of deception. It's a false way out. The, the deception is that I won't hurt anybody else. It's just my life. No, suicide often, often suicide bring agony, agony on family members, agony on others, sometimes for the rest of their lives. Suicide can impact others for the rest of their lives. You take your life and then others who are connected to you in relationship have the agony of trying to overcome your death and maybe what they could have done or what they didn't do and all these things so it may be family members, it may be others, it may be classmates, it may be teachers, it may be coaches, it may be other people who have to overcome, and sometimes people never overcome it. They have to overcome you taking your life. Another reason, and I wrote down several here in no special order, suicide is a spirit. Suicide is an evil spirit. There is a spirit of suicide. If you have the thought, if you have the thought 
of suicide. And I want you to send any questions you have. I'm going to try to answer those questions today. If you have the thought of suicide, you are under attack by a demonic spirit, an evil spirit. The Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen, God would never give you the thought to take your life. God would never do that. Suicide is an evil spirit. And to take your life is to yield to an evil spirit. So Satan has an assignment. He comes to steal because he has an assignment. He comes to kill because he has an assignment. He comes to destroy because he has an assignment. Suicide is a cooperation or giving Satan the assistance to carry out his assignment. What's wrong with suicide? Suicide is an abortion. It is an abortion of destiny. It is an abortion of God's full plan for your life. Now, God has a plan for our lives that was established before we were born. God sees our past, our present, and our future, and God has a plan for every person's life. And even though you may be in a tough spot now, a difficult situation, that gives you no reason to abort the rest of God's plan for your life. God has a plan for your life, and suicide is an abortion of God's destiny. It's an abortion of God's destiny. I want you to say this after me. Suicide aborts my destiny. I want you to say that. Suicide aborts my destiny. I want you to say it one more time. Suicide aborts my destiny. Now, you're going to have this, even though you may be listening. You say, well, I'm not dealing with this. If you ever get in a spot and that thought comes to your mind, you will always remember these words, suicide aborts my destiny. Suicide aborts God's destiny for my life. What's wrong with suicide? Suicide is thievery. It is thievery. Not only is it robbery of self, not only are you robbing yourself, but you're also robbing others of your potential. You're robbing others of your potential. See, what God put in you, now listen to me carefully, what God put on the inside of you, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the, the untapped potential, what God put on the inside of you is not just for you. For example, my life and one of the things that has helped me to, uh, to walk with God is to understand 
that what God has put on the inside of me is not just for Mike. It's for all the other people who will be impacted in a positive way by my potential, my potential for teaching purposes only. If I take my life, if I take my life, I'm talking as an example, teaching, teaching purposes only. If I take my life, I am robbing all the people who would be impacted in a positive way by my potential. You don't have the right to do that. You don't have the right. You say, well, it's just my life. No, 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 no. Your life is not just for you. Your life, God created you to be blessed, but he created you to be a blessing. And you rob every other person who will be impacted by your uh, potential. What's wrong with suicide? Suicide is you playing God. It's you playing God. It's you deciding that the end of my life is now. That I'm, think about it. You didn't, you didn't decide to come in this world and you don't have a right to decide it, to just, I'm through with it. I'm just through with it. I'm through with it. Now, God will allow you to, but you don't have a right to say this is the end. How do you know this is the end? How do you know that this is the end? How do you know, have you fulfilled everything that God wants you to do? Have you fulfilled it? Have you carried out everything God wants you to do? Well, you don't want to be standing up in front of God and all the stuff that God intended for you to do. And you didn't complete your assignment. You didn't complete everything God wanted you to do. What's wrong with suicide? Suicide uh, doesn't bring glory to God. It doesn't bring glory to God. It doesn't bring glory to God. No, it, it brings no glory to God. Suicide communicates a false message. Now listen at this. Suicide communicates a false message. It communicates that God is not faithful. Think about it. God is not faithful. You had to take your life. You got to take your life because God ain't faithful enough. God ain't big enough. God can't, God is not faithful. So you got to take your, your life. Suicide communicates that the word is not true. The word is not the answer. The word is not enough. That's what your suicide will communicate to others, that the word is not the answer. The word is not true. The word is not enough. Suicide communicates a false message. It says to believers, it says to unbelievers, you're a Christian, and it says to unbelievers, there's no benefit in following God. Think about it. Think about it. You are a Christian, and you are thinking about taking your life. You are a Christian. What does that say to unbelievers? It says to unbelievers that there's no benefit in following God. And I know you don't want to communicate that message. I know, I know 
that you do not want to communicate to unbelievers that there's no benefit in following God. You see, suicide, it hurts the walk of young believers in the spiritually immature. It hurts other people. It, 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 it hurts other Christians. It hurts Christians. Now, if a person commits suicide, I'm not going to wonder about my life. I'm not going to wonder about God. I'm not, because I've been walking with God for 40 some years, but they are young Christians. They're young Christians. They're spiritually immature Christians. When they see you as a Christian taking your life, you've taken your life, it, it, it puts a, a level of confusion in their spirits. They're confused because they don't have the spiritual foundation to, to be able to process it. They don't, they don't know how to process it. You know, they, they bring God down to the level of your experience. So they said, well, you know, you know, if this person, you know, you know, sometimes people who walk with the Lord a long time, they walked with the Lord a long time. And I, you know, I, I don't know all everybody I'm talking to, but I know I'm talking to somebody. I know I'm talking to somebody and I know there's somebody you thinking along this line, and and I'm I'm sensing it's not just a babe in Christ. I, I I think you've been with the Lord a while too. I think I'm talking to some people who've been with the Lord a while, some time. So so what does that say? Not just to the unbeliever, but what does that say to young Christians who don't have their spiritual feet up under them? They don't. They're not stable in their walk with the Lord, and they see you, a Christian, spirit-filled Christian, tongue-talking Christian, in a in a, a, a teaching environment. And maybe some of you are not in a teaching environment, but some of you are in a teaching environment and you take your life? Think, think, think about what that says to other Christians and the struggle that they will deal with spiritually, you know, because young Christians, they look up to us. So, so I, want, I want to close by giving you some things to remember, giving you some things to remember things to remember when the thought comes to your mind to take your life. Remember this, what you're going through is not permanent. Come on, say that. What you're going through is not permanent. Come on, let's say that again. What you're going through is not permanent. Now, let's make it personal. Let's make this personal. What I am going through is not permanent. I want you to say that out loud. What I am going through, I see you sending me in questions. That's good. Keep sending me your questions. Keep sending me your questions. What you're going through, come on, say what I'm going through. Come on, say that. What I'm going through, come on, say it. Come on, say it. What I'm going through is not permanent. Now, I want you to talk to yourself, whatever you, call your name out. And if you're by yourself, call your name out. Mike, 
what I'm going through <clears throat> is not permanent. You call your name out. What I'm going through is not permanent. Come on, say that. What I'm going through, remember, feel no one cares, feel left out, feel rejected. Listen, feel hopeless, feel overwhelmed, feel like a failure. See, your feelings, we're not walking by feelings. We're walking by faith. And what you are going through is not permanent. Psalms 30, verse 5, the latter part of verse 5 Psalms 30 says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. There is a morning for you. There is day for you. It may be night now. You may be crying now, but there is laughter ahead of you. There is daylight ahead of you. Remember this. Here's the second thing that you need to remember. There is always a way out. Say that. There is always a way out. Come on, say it one more time. There is always a way out. Now make it personal. There is always a way out for me. There's always, say it, a way out for me. There's always, come on, say it, a way out for me. Satan tells you there's no way out. You're not going to get out of this. You might as well. You might as well send the saddle home. You, you, listen, you might as well take the horse to the barn, whatever you want to call it, whatever your phrase is, the gig is up, whatever you want, whatever statement you want to say, it is the end, the finish line. No, the Satan wants you to think there's no way out. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So whenever Satan says there's no way, then he's a liar because Jesus says, I am the way. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not, permit or allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. Now listen at that text, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There has no temptation, test or trial come your way, but such as common to man. In other words, God says everything that we deal with in life, temptation, test or trials is common. You're not alone. You're not the only one ever felt this way. You're not by yourself. Listen, it's common. It's common. It is common. It, 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 you're not unique. It says that God is faithful. Not sometimes. He's faithful all the time. Now watch this. Who will not allow you to be tempted, tested, and tried above that you're able, even though you feel like you just can't go any further, grace is there. Say, God, give me grace. God, give me grace. 
He, the Bible says that God will not allow you to be tempted above your, what you're able, but will with the temptation, right along with that temptation, he'll provide a way of escape. There's a way of escape. There's a way of escape. There is a way of escape. And then the third thing, number two, three things, what you're going through is temporary. There's always a way out. And then thirdly, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Come on, say, God loves me. Come on, say it. God loves me. Come on, say, God loves me. Come on, keep saying it. God loves me. Whenever you think that no one cares, you're left out, nobody wants you, you're alone. You're never going to get married. You're never going to have a family. You're never going to have your dreams come to pass. God loves you. And the Bible says that he's loved you with an everlasting love. And the scripture says that there's nothing that can separate you from his love. Now, here's what I want you to do. If you if if if, if you're thinking about this and it's a strong thing, I want you to get some counsel. It could be professional counsel, a ministerial counsel. You can always call our office. You can always ask to speak to a minister here at Faith Chapel. I want you to talk to somebody. I want you to get out of your head, get out of your thinking, get out of your thoughts. You've got to talk to somebody. You can't just figure this all out by yourself professional or ministerial, talk to somebody. I want you to listen to this whole series. I want you to listen to episode one, episode two. I want you to listen to this episode. I want you to go back and listen to it. I want you to listen to it over and over and over and over. And you're going to break that thing. You're going to break that spirit that you're going to drive that spirit, put it in your mouth, start talking it out. And then I got two more episodes. I got two more episodes that I want to talk about. I'm give you part B of hope and anchor of the soul. I'm going to give you what I had prepared for the day next week. Listen, God loves you. I got, I got some questions here, so I want to look at some of my questions. First question I got here is, can suicide be a generational curse? Yes, it can be. Suicide can be a generational curse. You know, a generational curse is a uh, attitude. It can be a habit. It can be a disposition. It can be a trait uh, that passed from one generation to another generation. And it's, it is, if you study things out, you'll see that suicide has run in families. Thank God we don't have to accept that generational curse. The Bible says Christ has redeemed us from the curse. That's, that's uh, Galatians 3.13, so that the blessing of Abraham can come on us. And if, if, if you feel that it's a generational curse, 
and, and somehow you've had some other relatives and different ones have taken their lives and now you're dealing with it. I take authority over that curse. I break that generational curse over your life in the name of Jesus. I plead that blood, the blood of Jesus. Now I want you to say that curse is broken over my life in the name of Jesus. My nephew committed suicide. We thought because he was bipolar and got off his medication was he forgiven because of his mental illness? Now, I, I, that's why I brought that up. That's why I brought that up. Listen, mental illness is a real problem. Bipolar is a real problem. Some people can be in such a depressed state, okay? He took his life. That his taking his life doesn't snatch God's forgiveness away. Listen, God forgave him before he was born. God forgave him. When the person receives Christ, God don't come back and just snatch it out of the way. Because think about it. The, the forgiveness and the sacrifice of Jesus had nothing to do with us had nothing to do with us. And I said that because some family members, they're struggling with this thing. Did he go to heaven? If you receive Jesus Christ, God ain't coming back in and just taking it out. Sometimes people are mentally ill. And I said that, listen, if a person died of cancer, you wouldn't even ask the question. You wouldn't ask the question, did they go to heaven? Listen, if a person has mental illness, why would God say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you to hell? No, 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 no. I'm glad you asked me that. And sometimes people don't take their medication and they do weird things. Comment, it is so important to love on people, pray in the spirit for them, and encourage and not reject people. You never know what a person may be dealing with or what they have gone through. So it is important to love people unconditionally. That is a great comment, and it's such a great comment, I'm going to say it again. This person says, it is so important to love on people 100% I agree with you. Pray in the spirit for them. You don't know what's going on. That's what the person says. Encourage and not reject people. We're not supposed to be judging people anyway. You never know what a person may be dealing with or what they have gone through. So it's important to love people unconditionally. I agree with you 100%. Great comment. Do you think it can be a stronghold on your life by opening yourself up by looking at evil movies and other media? Yeah, I think, I think when the scripture says, take heed what you hear, and the scripture communicates that we're to guard our eye gate and our ear gates, yes, I think that you can watch things movies and all those kind of things that can sow stuff in you. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, some people like all these scary movies. I don't read. I don't, I've been walking with the Lord for some years. I don't watch scary movies. I don't feel my spirit with that. There are some movies I just, you not. You got to be led by the spirit too, even on, on, on the movies. Um, is there ever a time that we should suggest to a person while counseling that individual that if you are just ready to go home, Ask the Father God for permission of him to come and get you and take you home. Now, that's a whole different thing. That's a whole different thing. That's a whole different thing than suicide. That's not, that's not suicide. There are people 
who are ill and they don't believe they're going to make it. They don't believe they, they, they don't believe it. They're holding on for family members. In other words, they, they ready to go. There are some people, they tell us they're tired. They tell us I'm ready to go. I don't think that's suicide. I don't, I don't think that's them taking their life. I think that I think it's proper if a person tells you they're tired, they sick and they want to go to heaven, there's nothing wrong with saying, listen, you can go and be with the Lord if you want to. That's not suicide. And I don't think that there's anything wrong. I don't think those two things are mutual. Those things are mutually exclusive there. I don't, I don't think that. I think a person can choose to go to heaven. That's not taking a knife or taking a gun and shooting themselves or, or taking pills. That's a whole different animal. I think a person can say, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to fight anymore. And I think it's all right if a family member says, you don't have to fight anymore. I don't think that's suicide. Great question. Can a person lose his soul, but his spirit go to heaven? Can a person lose his soul and his spirit go to heaven? Now, here's what I think about that. I think that the soul and the spirit are tied together. The soul is the personality of the person. It's their personality. It's who it, it, it is what makes them unique. You know, I have a personality. My, my mind, the way I think, my emotions, my will is my personality. When a person dies and goes to heaven, their soul doesn't stay here. The, the body stays here. The body stays here, but their souls go to heaven. That's why there's recognition in the afterlife. That's why uh, in, I think it's Luke 18, Luke 18 or 19, maybe 19. I think it's Luke 19. When the rich man died and went to hell and uh, the uh the, the, the poor man went to Abraham's bosom over in that text, and they were conversing with each other. The Bible says that the man in one place looked up and recognized the other person. And they recognized, see, you're going to, when, when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to recognize your loved ones. That's their soul. That's their personality. So the, per the soul doesn't leave when a person dies. The soul is connected to the spirit. And when a person dies, their body goes into the ground or the crypt or whatever it is. Their body, but their soul and spirit goes to be with the Lord. So no, the, the soul doesn't stay here. And, and when the Bible talks about losing their soul, I think it's talking more about their, their spirits. You know what I mean? Um, can a, a what, what are signs to look for in a suicidal person? Well, you know, sometimes there are signs and sometimes there are not signs. You know, sometimes people camouflage their appearance, their uh their emotions, but whenever a person starts saying things like, I don't want to live, I don't want to live, I just want out of here, I just want to get out of here, they're not sick or anything like that, but they're talking about getting out of here, I want to go, I just want to go to sleep and not wake up, 
those are some signs. When people start talking like that, you need to pay attention. I just want to kill myself. Now, some people don't say that, but they'll say, I, I just want to go to sleep and not wake up anymore. Those are not good. Those words, even if a person is not suicidal and they say, you know, I just, I just want to get out of here. They can invite suicide spirits. Words draw spirits. Just like words draw angels, words draw evil spirits. And when people start talking like that, that's a sign. Sometimes you can look at the despondency on people's face. The, the countenance can give away. Sometimes when people stop living, they're in the house, in the bed, won't get out of the bed, not talking to anybody, the sh pull the blinds down, the room is dark, and all those kind of things, the inactivity, inactive over a period of time, missing a lot, all those kind of things. You need to pay attention to those kinds of things. That's a great, these are great questions. How do you consistently fight the depression and anxiety thoughts? Well, I don't, I don't like the term fighting the depression and fighting, no, I, I think the depression, and I think I'm going to do some teaching on that, and the anxiety thoughts are things that you are thinking about. And I don't think it's fighting. Now, now you, you can fight Satan. You can say, Satan, I don't resist. I resist those thoughts. Satan, I will not receive your thoughts. Uh, a good confession is over in Psalms 118, it says, I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. That's over in Psalms 118. I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I think when you start saying what God says, that's how you, you can't think on two different, two things at the same, two different things at the, two contrasting thoughts at the same time. You can't think on, I live and not die and declare the works of the Lord and think on, I'm going to kill myself. You, in other words, you, you can't think on two contrasting thoughts at the same time. So rather than trying to fight thoughts, let's replace thoughts with what God says. Let's replace God. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. God cares for me. I cast all my cares on him so he cares less. God loves me with an everlasting love. I, I'm accepted in the beloved. Let's start saying something else, and that's how you cast down those thoughts, by saying something else with your mouth. These are, um, these are great questions. Does being depressed mean all your faith is about gone? Now, being depressed means you're focusing on the wrong things. Now, it could be medical. Uh, it can be a medical, physiological, psychological condition that you may need some help on. But depressed thoughts are, uh, are really mean—doesn't mean your faith is gone. It means your focus is gone. And I like that question— does being depressed mean that your faith is about gone? Now, being depressed means your focus is gone.
In other words, your focus is on, you can't be focusing on the scriptures, focusing on good things and be depressed at the same time. Depression has to do with our focus. And I'm convinced that I'm going to talk about, uh, about discouragement and depression in the future. Great questions. I trust you got something out of this. Share this with somebody else. I believe it'll be a blessing for them. Love you.